0: Animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animal, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Jessica Kelly, one of the leaders of Cat Trap Fever, a nonprofit organization based in Pinellas County. Beyond bearing a sublimely droll name, Cat Trap Fever has helped countless feral or community cats by way of extensive efforts of TNVR, that is Trap, Neuter, Vaccinate, and Return. Last year, they took 1,817 cats in for spay and neuter. That reflects Cat Trap Heber's huge ongoing commitment, a commitment that helps control the colossal cat population. But those who engage in TNVR can also experience criticism and controversy. We'll likely discuss that, too, probably touching on a giant relevant piece in a recent edition of The New Yorker, written by novelist Jonathan Franzen. We'll also likely explore Cat Trap Heber's history and mission and their day-to-day efforts in caring for the cats, among other topics. We'll cover that and more when I speak with Jessica Kelly in just a moment here on Talking Animals on WMNF. A programming note at the moment, though. On next week's show, my guest will be Do- Dr. Daniel Promislau, the biogerontologist at the University of Washington and co-director of the Dog Aging Project, a long-term study examining the health and longevity of dogs. The scope of the project is enormous. Since it was launched in late 2019, some 47,000 dogs have been enrolled, and the researchers are actively welcoming additional canines, including maybe your dog. But the project also may be approaching a pivotal moment in that the grant money funding this research is likely to end in June. So Promise and his colleagues have created a nonprofit, the Dog Aging Institute, as a means to generate funds to continue their research. We'll discuss that and more next week on Talking Animals here on WNF. I'll invite you to join me for that. Meanwhile, coming up later on today's program, I'll speak with Annalisa Burns, a search dog handler and licensed private investigator who's overseeing pet search and rescue conferences across the country, including one this weekend in Tampa. Registration for that con- conference is now closed, but among the topics we'll cover with Annalisa's additional opportunities locally and elsewhere for folks who think they might like to pursue a career or maybe a new hobby as a pet detective. Learn more about these opportunities with Annalise Burns join us in a little bit later in today's show. Right now though, let's talk cats, mainly feral or community cats with Jessica Kelly of Cat Trap Fever. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813 239 9663 emailing DJ at WMNF.org or texting 813 433 885 Let's welcome Jessica Kelly, Talking Animals. Good morning, Jessica.
1: Good morning, Duncan. How
0: are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals.
1: Oh, and thank you for having me.
0: For sure. So, of course, you know, we'll explore cats, cat trap fever, TNVR, and more. We'll get into all that in a moment. But over the years, I've learned that super intrepid TNVR types like yourself are often distinctive folks otherwise with intriguing elements to their background. So tell me a little bit about yourself before you got into working with cats.
1: Um, I actually have quite a, a hodgepodge of a background. I was a waitress as a young teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I traveled with the carnival for a couple of years. Um, what, what did you, what'd that you do there?
0: <laughs> that, that's too interesting to let go right by.
1: Well, actually, we sold turkey legs and barbecue uh, with my husband's family, who are fifth-generation showmen.
0: Wow, cool. So,
1: lots of traveling and lots of stinky Greece fires.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. What else? What else is part of that hodgepodge?
1: Um, I was a ballet dancer and then instructor here in, in Largo.
0: Yeah. that I have to say, I, I saw that somewhere and that kind of jumped out at me just because <laughs> that's, uh, I think it's safe to say that's unusual as cat trappers go. <laughs>
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: And did you once kind of harbor dreams of a dance career with a major ballet company or?
1: Uh, I did actually. And, and, you know, my body image and a few minor injuries just brought me to the bottom. And, and I realized that it just wasn't for me. And I'd rather encourage other other humans to love themselves no matter what they do.
0: So that's when you shifted it over to an instructor as opposed to a practitioner?
1: Correct. Um, and then from there, I recognized that, that my time, the community cat population needed me, so I actually resigned from my position as an instructor to to trap more full-time.
0: So tell me how that first began. So sounds like these kind of overlapped a little bit, but but when did you actually first start working with cats?
1: Um, I've actually had a long history. Uh, One of my neighborhood cat ladies, so to speak, um, Anne, gave me so much love for cats and the importance of spay and neuter. Um, She actually dedicated her entire backyard to cats who couldn't go back to where they were from so she had you know 15 to 17 cats in her in her backyard that were all fixed, that were all vaccinated that were all on sleep prevention and it could have been just so much worse if they weren't fixed. um and from there she taught me how to nurture um i have extensive experience with little teeny tiny bottle babies um which i I think are completely avoidable because we can keep them with the mommies. Um, but that love from a young age, not knowing anything about the shelter system, um, about rescues, about trapping just this one woman and her strong beliefs and love and compassion for spayed and neutered animals kinda were my were my foundation for yeah. and for so, working with cats.
0: <laughs> so she obviously was a great influence. So when you kinda saw that, it sounds like like you said, Initially, you didn't have any real context for anything else. You just knew the lady next door or down the street or wherever yeah. this was, like, was doing this cool thing with cats that that really, I guess, struck a chord.
1: Oh, absolutely. And she told me how important it was to fix them. Otherwise, she'd have too many to, to help. And that, I was probably eight or nine years old when they truly resonated in my brain and and absorbs that concept.
0: So did you start helping her at the, uh, as young as that, or when did this first Absolutely kick in for you directly?
1: Professional cat scooper, um, but it wasn't until after my, my waitressing days and bartending and ballet and carnival experience that I circle back. Um, was, it was 2020, it was actually during COVID, that I started fostering for a rescue. Quickly recognized just fostering, was it wasn't enough. I wanted to know where these little kitties came from, It's great that they're going to find homes, but nobody dropped them off at the doorstep. They didn't fall from the sky. The storks didn't bring them in a a bag. They they were birthed out in our community. And everyone's so familiar with Kitten Lady, um, a huge icon. And her belief for TMVR started looking into how to get more heavily involved in that here in my local community. And that's where I found my partner, Susan Roundtree who had been practicing at that point, TNVR, before it was a highly recognized concept here in Pinellas.
0: Before it was an acronym even, maybe. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Maybe not before an acronym, but <laughs> definitely before, you know, there was the county's program um, yeah. in another organization. She was just like a one-woman trap wagon, uh, and I just, I just knew, I was like, I can help her and we can make a difference together and she doesn't have to bear that burden alone
0: so did cat trap fever uh exist before you guys joined forces or was that sort of that name was born when you guys did connect
1: no she she gave that name and actually bought like the url the website for it um 15 16 years ago 17 maybe now wow um but we didn't officially become 501c3 nonprofit until we until we joined forces and established a board and said, you know what? We can do more than just a few here and there. I mean, Sue was probably doing 1,000 caps a year, 1,200 caps a year, before I even joined forces, which is wow. incredible.
0: No kidding. So here, here's one question that you just kind of said as something in passing, but it just struck me, is that she bought the URL, sounds like many, many years ago, but unless I've been looking in the wrong place, I, I see you have a huge Facebook and Instagram presence, but I, don't, I, I couldn't find the actual website for you guys just because, not surprising, there are other, other organizations across the country with similar or, or yes. identical names.
1: There's another cat trap fever out of Michigan, and, and we've had a couple of instances where we've confused um, you know, donations, but luckily Sue has a great relationship with the, the president up there, and they go, hey... This one's for you, and we'll do the same and and switch it over with each other. Um, We do own the, I think it's com, but we haven't done anything with it. Oh, okay. Um, Our philosophy on things like a website and, you know, big fundraiser events is we're never going to put those before the care and the work that we have to put towards the animals. Because we're just a small nonprofit, and we try and do big things. And I think we achieve those big things um, as it stands. My goal this month is to create our logo. Like we don't even have a logo, um, but our, our mission is completed on a day-to-day basis and the cat's care will always come first. And if we can help five cats today instead of finish that logo, that's what I'm going to do today.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the the to-do list is kind of a, a sliding just because it's like cats yeah. first. So the uh, item number three first. is going to have to go till tomorrow or Friday or whenever. Because we, exactly. got, we got cats to take care of. Yeah.
1: You know, there's the expression, um, crap happens, but it's a profound word. And we always just replace that first word with cat. And we're like, well, we were going to write that grant or fill out that application, but cat happens.
0: Yeah. And is it really just you and Sue even now?
1: We've got another three, maybe four folks who do trap um, and work efficiently and kind of, you know, hold that same high standard to 100%. Captured when you start, you gotta finish. Um, and those are some close friends who who've started to track with us and and you know help kittens or find a problem area that there's really no other answers for. Um, so we're kind of expanding, but we're expanding slowly. Um, we don't have a facility, so we work out of a garage, a caddy shack, and three spare bedrooms um, between myself and Sue's home. We also have a little over a dozen foster parents, you know, when we're out there in the field and we're trapping and we see four to five week old kittens, well, they're not big enough to be trap, neuter, return, but they are young enough to be socialized and homes found for them instead. So we, we have to jump at that opportunity when it presents itself and and figure it out.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of on the fly determining kind of what has to happen next based on what, what kind of cats you encounter. So let me uh, oh, certainly. let folks know uh, who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Jessica Kelly, one of the leaders of Cat Trap Fever a nonprofit uh, based in Pinellas County. They work tirelessly at TNVR, trap, neuter, vaccinate, return. Last year bringing in more than 1,800 cats for spay neuter. So we have a question for Jessica about feral cats or trapping or anything we've touched on already and we'll touch on obviously a lot more. We just would like to offer a comment. Please call 813-239-9663, email DJ at org or text 813-433-0885. So it sounds like, again, there's a lot of kind of improvising when you go out. So what I was thinking might be good is if you could just kind of figure out how this actually works, and I know it varies a lot for just all kinds of factors, but let's say that tomorrow is a typical day for cat trap fever. Can you walk me through it? First, is there a primary colony where you focus your time, or is there, uh, does that vary from day to day as well?
1: It does vary from day to day. We try and be ultra-efficient. So if I'm trapping in northeast St. Petersburg, And there's eight to ten cats. I'll also check my map and my book to see if there's another call for maybe one to two cats in that area. That way, if I'm driving to that zip code, I'm not just driving right past somebody who also needs help, but they don't have a lot of cats. So I try and kind of combine like two of the different spots together if I'm driving there. Um, A lot of what we do is entirely dependent on what time the cats are accustomed to eating. So, uh, you know, I I get somebody's name and their phone number and their address, and we don't just set traps and come back the next day. I ask that caregiver, what time do you feed them breakfast? And it could be seven, it could be eight, it could be nine, it could be 10. And then what time do you feed them dinner? I would ask that caregiver not to feed them on a Monday because I'm going to trap them on a Tuesday. So mm. on that Tuesday at 9.30 and 7.30, I would go and I would set traps. maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I'm going to catch who I'm going to catch, and I'll bring them back to the garage and set them up with a clean liner, um, food and water. We also use uh, like immune supplements in their food. You know,
0: most What kind of supplements? Caps, Sorry, I missed that. What kind of supplements?
1: Immune supplements. Okay, so that's what I thought like you hygiene. said. Yeah. Okay. But most of these cats will only go to the vet one time in their life. Due to finances, due to their temperament, due to, you know, limited resources for the stray cat population. So we really try and give them the best opportunity at as much care as possible while we have them for that few days before we recover and cut them loose. And then if we don't trap all of those cats with that caregiver, we will go back at the next feeding time, set up for an hour. And then we've also got like extra little tips and tricks and types of trap. Maybe the cats are too shy to go in this kind of trap. That might just mean they need more food withheld for a longer time. Or we might bust out a different kind of trap, like a large drop trap. Or we've got these new robot traps that you use with a key fob. It's like going fishing. I I try and encourage more and more men to start trapping because it's like a good weekend of fishing. (laughs) If you go out and you get eight, and then the next day you get four, and you end up with all 15 cats that somebody feeds, you've stopped their entire cycle in a matter of two days.
0: That's huge, and that's so important. And I'm thinking, before we get too much further, uh, not even counting the robot trap, which I'm not familiar (laughs) with myself, but can you just describe, when you say trapping and trapping, just for people who might be listening and think, Jesus, this sounds kind of uh, harsh or tough or whatever, not understanding kind of the humane trap. What a trap is, yeah. So the
1: humane trap. Um, We like to use the gravity trap. We've also seen people use the spring-loaded traps, which aren't our favorite because they are a little louder. Um, But essentially, it's a long hallway. Um, It's got food on one end and an open door on the other. And the cat will walk until they step onto a small plate towards the back of it. And then the door just closes behind them. Immediately, the, the trap is covered so the cat isn't panicked. And a lot of our cats don't even recognize the doors closed behind them. Until they see us come up, and then they're a little a little frightened, but covering them really calms them down um we We practice safe and humane trapping, so nobody's getting their legs broken, nobody's getting grabbed at, and you know it's not like dog catchers you see in the old movies they're running around with a net, yeah, we're just placing the traps and letting the cats walk right in
0: so once we've got our our cats or cats in, and again, so it's all it sounds like if I follow you from before, it's all based on. Feeding time, and that might vary based on the, the people that have the been feeding The caregiver and their
1: schedule. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you get that information, or how do they get that information to you to, to know to contact you about, okay, yeah, your cats are up next on Wednesday or whatever, so we need to get in touch with you about uh, feeding times, et cetera?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the calls just keep pouring in from, from simply word of mouth. Um, yeah. We're still in a very proactive state, so people are asking us for help. We're not going out and finding it, yeah. although it is very easy to find more cats who need help. i
0: sure. <laughs> so
1: we stay very busy. Um, I always say a three-minute phone call goes so much further than 15 text messages over a week. I'm not a big texter. My partner is not a big texter. You know, we've got a series of questions that we ask and make a little note. Um, we're very analog. Um, me, I'm, I'm 32 years old, and I'm... I'm the most analog millennial you'll ever meet because I like to write things down.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I'm trying not to stare at my phone all day. You know, what time do you eat? What time are there any kittens? Are there any injuries? Is there anybody who's already ear tipped? How many are there? Um, because another challenge we run into is is filling the appointments based on the folks who need help. And we, we take cats for the vet every day. But we want to make sure we get as close to the number that we have appointments for. It's a quite a juggling act. Yeah. But we we do make it happen. Our little expression is just trap the cat. Right. We're just going to trap it. We'll figure out everything else. But the first step and the most challenging is trapping the cat.
0: So if I, if to to quickly review, I say cats happen is key element, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then just just trap the just cats. Trap
1: right the time. cat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that sounds like it's. Uh, It's a great way to kind of simplify what could otherwise be a super complicated uh, process, which, again, it's not to say that it's simple at all. Yeah, we just
1: got, this is what we do. You know, we don't expect everyone to understand every element of TNVR, but it's very easy to understand the element of one mission, their yard or their grocery store where they started feeding a cat. You know, it's it's helping them.
0: Yeah. Okay, so do you have... Like multiple vets that uh, that you work with, or how does that work? So let's say we've got, the, we've got x amount of cats that you trapped because of the, you found out what the meal times were, and you got them in there after maybe a couple of tries, whatever, in some cases. So now you've got, let's say six cats total. How does it work from there in, in terms of going to the vet, and what kind of arrangements have you made with a vet that uh, enables you to take them there and not cost a fortune each time?
1: Exactly. We've got quite a few partnerships where we've got um, long-term relationships with the veterinary clinics, with the doctors, um, with the board of different nonprofit clinics. Um, and we use five different vets. And sometimes we go to the vet five and six days a week. Um, and those those partnerships have grandfathered in such a, a lovely discount for us because it's not like I'm bringing my cat Fluffy to the vet for his vaccines and his neuter, <laughs> I'm bringing a stray cat that somebody fed and we're, we're bringing a lot of them. Yeah, And the promise is that discounted work that those clinics are doing have long lasting efforts on the population, which they do. Um, and then Sue usually does all of the morning drop-off. She's a morning gal. Um, and then she works full time. So not even with community cat trapping and transporting and coordinating she has a full-time job outside of cat trapping.
0: Wow. And, and I, was, then
1: I will try and do as many pickups as I can in the
0: afternoons and evenings. Yeah, I was going to ask at one point, like, how many days a week do you guys trap and or do other parts of cat trap fever? And how many hours on a given day does that constitute?
1: Um, four to five hours physically trapping and transporting. Um, another one to two hours changing liners and feeding and watering. Um, A lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages with our foster parents. I would say that I put in 50 to 60 hours a week into cat trap fever. And we are unpaid. We are entirely volunteer-based with a prayer that in, you know, three to five years, I might warrant a paycheck because I think I work really hard.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you guys both work really, really hard (laughs) at different parts of the day. But it sounds like you've gotten some friends that are helping at least lighten the load a little bit. And, um,
1: Absolutely, and uh, we're just so grateful because it's one less spot we have to drive to, because we can't be everywhere.
0: Right. And since you did get your five hundred one c three status, I guess people listening, uh, if they said, "Wow, these 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 women are working super hard and helping a ton of cats," I'd like to donate somehow. So, since the website, as we noted, is not up and running. Can they do that through either Facebook or Instagram? Or what's the best way for someone to say, hey, I'd like to send Um, you guys a few bucks?
1: We have our Facebook page, which is open for donations. We also have a link tree to PayPal and Venmo. And then anybody who'd like to send a check, we are um, more than happy to deposit checks into our bank account. Cash is always fun, but then you'd have to give me a high five. You'd have to meet me in person.
2: Yeah,
0: not
1: the worst thing. Um, But our Facebook page will have uh, information on all of that.
0: Okay, cool. So uh, and we
1: have a website. That's the goal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. It sounds like that's that's on the to-do list. It's it's working its way up towards the top of the list, perhaps. But
1: uh, absolutely
0: sounds like it's not quite there yet. So uh, we got a caller that we're going to include in a sec. I want to also read at least one of the emails that have come in. A few have come in. This one says, I'd like to thank Jessica and Cat Trap Heaver for helping me out a couple of times on the Pinellas side. I volunteer with St. Francis Cat Rescue in Tampa and Trap Spay Neuter Rehab in my garage, too, and Foster and Socialize. Jessica will agree with me when I say we don't have enough fosters for socializing and adopting cats and kittens. We also need more help from the county to help stop the overpopulation of cats in our our counties. Was that last one
1: from somebody in Pinellas County?
0: Uh, you know it came in via text, and they didn't they didn't sign it, so um okay, I just know that it is well i
1: if I can take this opportunity to shout out to our county, Pinellas county, um and their philosophy on community cats has been a game changer the last three or four years. I'm not good with dates. um but instead of euthanizing cats who are dropped off who are not friendly, they transfer them to a county program, to one of their shelter partners, fix them, log that address, and then volunteers drop them back off in their community. Ten years ago, if somebody brought a feral cat to the shelter and said, I just don't like it, they would they would be forced to euthanize it. So those programs that they've put in place for stray cats who aren't adoption-worthy, they don't have to die, and their health improves, and they're not going to make more babies. Um but they've they've done a really beautiful job at mainstreaming what used to happen to cats
0: that sounds great that that sounds like it represents tremendous progress
1: enormous because it's it's the ordinances you're allowed to feed them as long as they're fixed, but you can't leave food out all day That's yeah. the long and short of it
0: well here's an email I, that kind of overlaps maybe that and also overlaps something that we traded some some email about in terms of some important points. So this one says, I'm a trapper with feline friends of SWFL in Sarasota. I find the biggest problem is the people who just can't withhold food and don't get the traps only work on hungry cats. Frustrating trying to trap for hours only to see a half-eaten bowl of food. Thanks for all you do, Justin.
1: One of my favorite things to do for people who don't want to withhold their food is to bring out the drop trap. You can have that caregiver put as much food as they want under that drop trap um, and if it's a safe area where nobody's going to steal or damage your equipment, you can even prop that drop trap up on something more permanent, and train all of the cats to eat under that drop trap. And then when it's your your time, you got to get them. It's much easier to be successful in pulling that string.
0: Yeah, um, but I think but also I
1: run into the same thing. Yeah. People don't want to see their cats hungry, but it's a a short-term sacrifice for a long-term benefit. Yeah. And then another thing, if you've got cats with a full belly, they're going to throw up in your car. So we don't want them to feel sick on their first car ride ever. And that sometimes helps me with caregivers who don't want their cats to be hungry. Yeah. Because it is frustrating, but I understand where they're coming from as well.
0: Right. So I guess the uh, kind of step removed from that is, is the folks who are, again, well-intentioned who feed these cats but aren't uh, sort of steeped in, in how the, the whole process could or should work. So they don't even think in terms of TNVR. They just sort of say, hey, these cats are hungry. Here's some bowls for them. It's a nice thing to do, w- which it is, but it obviously only gets you partway there and kind of the pivotal part of the operation is kind of left out that way.
1: Most certainly. And not everybody has the time or capacity to spend hours waiting out cats who are very likely not going to go into the trap. The trap is something that, you know, doesn't exist in their yard. So they see it as a foreign object. It's just not in their nature.
0: So you mentioned, Jessica, that you you guys don't have an actual facility. So you're kind of improvising with uh, bedrooms and uh, garages and whatever. So is that is that where the cats go? sort of before and after they're, they're at the vet and, and in the hopes of finding some place that will um, f- at least foster, if not adopt them? So in other words, is yeah. it kind of like a holding so station of, in a sense? Or...
1: Yeah, most of the cats are bound for TNDR, so they're only with us for three, maybe four days, um, pre and post op, in which they do recover in the humane trap. We pride ourselves in changing outliners. They're not very apt to use a litter box, even if we did want to set up 50 dog crates with litter boxes and bowls. Um, we find that more change is more panic. Mm-hmm. You put them in a bigger space, they're more likely to rip off their toenails or get a nosebleed. Um, it's it's going to elevate their heart rate and ultimately make them way more stressed out for their short stay with us. Um, to keep them calm, quiet, and covered. On the recovery side, it gives that anesthesia time to go out of their system and it gives their incision time to heal. They just need a day the surgeons who, who do these TNVR surgeries are like artists. <laughs> wow. They they've got such a fine tuned hand and the littlest incisions you could imagine. Um, great closure work. We've had next to no complications with any incisions, um, unless there's some sort of underlying you know bleeding disorder or immune compromise within the cat. So we we're very very thankful to our surgeons for doing such a good job because then so we can get those cats awake recovered and back to their clouder
0: within 24, 48 hours' talk. Here's a a kind of, I guess, just a little bit broader question, just because while you've only been doing it, and not only, I don't mean only, other than just it seems like I I would have guessed if we'd started talking, you would have been doing it longer ago than 2020. But it just seems like the pace is super relentless and the demands are unyielding. So I guess sort of two-pronged question is, like what's driving you and Sue, and do you to what extent do you worry about burnout?
1: I mean, I worry about burnout every day. I yeah. like to think uh, recognizing is the first step to coping with burnout and compassion fatigue and empathy strain. Mm-hmm. It it is straining on your mental health, your emotional health, your your physical health. It's physical work. These traps weigh nine pounds. The caps are six to seven to ten pounds. Um, what keeps us going? is the impact, seeing the impact, hearing from the caregivers who call us eight, nine months later, thank you so much, check this out, I haven't had new kittens, my husband hasn't run over a kitten in over a year, I mean, <laughs> oh, we brought Fluffy in because after she was saved, she ended up being so much sweeter, and now she wants to be our house cat, the successes and the impact that we leave is, is what keeps us going, and we know how, so there's no reason not to, it's kind of our philosophy. Yeah. Like the mafia, once you're in, you you can't get
0: out. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you're you're, <laughs> you're a made made man, I guess in that sense, but
1: uh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: For sure. So, um so is there anything that that you see like cuz you, you mentioned uh, we already talked about it a little bit that you you have some friends that have started to help. Do you see any kind of more formal uh efforts uh to help recruit people that can do sort of what you and Sue do. I mean, these friends that sound like are doing at least some of that, but it just sounds like you could use more hands, more bodies, more help.
1: Absolutely. I, I like, a, I have this dream, you know, if I had eight to 10 more of me or Sue, that we wouldn't have any, any stray cats. Yeah. Um, in, in a two to three year window, um, you know, stability through sterility. The more cats who are sterilized in a given neighborhood, on a given block, in a given zip code, the less nuisance calls we're going to get, yeah. which is going to make everybody's phone stop ringing less.
0: For sure, yeah. So it sounds like that's that's on the horizon. But um, meanwhile, yeah. you, you got cats to take care of. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah. and I mean the the trappers who have started in the last few years and And really taken to it and understand how important it is, and they're so very driven to get each and every cat of a colony, we are just so grateful.
0: Yeah.
1: Because that makes all the difference. The more hands we have to this task, the more cats who will be sterilized before we can get to them. Um, The gestation period for a pregnant cat is just 63 days. And cats can have three litters a year, two, even if they just had one a year, it just it duplicates the, the clouder very quickly.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and are there organizations that like a rescues and other organizations that will step up and help you guys with cats that uh, fitting one description or another need? Fostering, yeah. at least temporarily, uh, <laughs> adoptioning Obviously, ideally. Yeah. So the Pat.
1: Trap Fever doesn't do any adoptions as an organization ourselves. Yeah. On occasion, one of our foster parents will have a friend who fell in love with the kitties, and then that you know we're confident in that in that close intimate friendship. You know, our high standards are you know you own your own home, you're financially stable, you're not going to start dating somebody who's allergic. <laughs> Um, you would keep the kitties no matter how many kids you had, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but we only do maybe 12, 15 adoptions ourselves per year. And then I have a pretty, a pretty strong rule on no pretty kitties. Everyone wants a Siamese. Everyone wants a little fluffy thing. Um, any adoptable kittens or cats, we get them up to, up to schnuff. We make sure they're healthy and happy and sweet. And then we simply surrender them to rescue partners or shelter partners whose primary focus is finding a home for cats because that's not our primary focus. We've got boots on the ground and our work well cut out for us. There are fewer trappers and there are adoption stores. So we really rely on those partnerships with, with other rescues to ensure the kitties that we're taking from the street, you know, we make that choice to remove them, but we want to make sure they find really good homes and, we partner with ones we're confident will do just that.
0: And also, they must really appreciate that those cats come already spayed or neutered right off the bat. So yes,
1: absolutely. Um, I mean, if they're list. underage, we do transfer them out intact, but only to reputable rescues who will spay and neuter before they find homes. But if yeah. they're big enough, we're probably going to get them fixed because we just, we just keep spaying and neutering.
0: So I'm going to take a call here. Uh, This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Jessica Kelly, one of the leaders of Cat Trap Fever, a local organization devoted to TNVR, trap, neuter, vaccinate, return. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So let's get another person involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Jessica Kelly.
3: Yes, hi. Can you hear me, Duncan?
0: Yes, I can. Please go ahead.
3: Okay, this, this is Marilyn Weaver, and I have a few questions. Uh, so let <laughs> me just tell you what they are. Um, <laughs> I know people search you out by word of mouth, but other than that, how do you find out where the cats are? That's one thing. What radius do you trap in? Like, How far do you go? Is it just faintly? The other question, can they be spain on a full stomach? Uh, there will be no um, medical problem with that and also how do you pay for the spay neuter where do you get the money
0: so Marilyn maybe before uh, Jessica answers just because I, I of course have known you for years and you've been a great supporter of the show and a great animal advocate for years and years maybe you could explain a little bit about your background or or meow now or, or anything that kind of puts place your oh. questions in a context
3: <laughs> yeah well <laughs> Um, I'm a co-founder of Meow Now, and I know Sue Roundtree all these many years. We've been doing the same thing, Um, and um, I'm always interested in how people get the job done. I know how we did it, um, and I know how important it is and how, how much work is involved, so you really have to be dedicated. You really have to care about what you do. But it's so well worth it because after you've done the trapping and got the cat uh, back at its outdoor home, you feel so good. So good. So it's working for the cats and it's working for the person that does the work.
1: That's working for the caregiver. That's one of the most incredible. Hi, Marilyn. I've heard good things about you. I'll shake your hand eventually. Uh, One of the questions that stood out in my head was the, the full stomach. It's really based on your provider. Um, some of our surgeons tell us to feed kittens who are under six months because that, you know, drop in blood sugar or calorie intake. Um, they'd rather have them full, and really, it's just it's just to reduce the risk of aspiration. So we don't want them to choke on anything if they end up vomiting, which doesn't, you know, not every cat gets nauseous with the medications provided. So ah. it's, it's really on a. Mm on a cat-by-cat cat and surgeon-by-surgeon surgeon basis.
3: Right. So it's more or less better if you can withhold the food the day before uh, to get the cat in the trap.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. But also, what, you know, we feed them when we get them back, and we just pull food the night before. That's kind of right. our philosophy. As long as they've been without food for, you know, six to eight hours, that's plenty to, to digest everything.
3: Right. And what radius do you uh, cover? How far do you go? to trap camp.
1: It's really it's really situational dependent. I like to stay close to home, of course, because I can more effectively revisit that location time after time after time. Um, um and if it's in Old Northeast, I would call somebody who lives closer to Old Northeast because they can more efficiently visit time after time after time. Um if it's going to take me 25 30 minutes to get to the trapping that's taking more time out of my day. You know, this is not my full-time paid job, so I still have kids to pick up from school and make sure everybody gets to bed on time. Um, but if they've got mm-hmm. 19 cats that they're feeding outside, I am going to drive 25 minutes to help them.
3: All <laughs> right. So, in essence, you have two jobs as well as two round trees because <laughs> yes, I consider yes. taking care of children
1: a job. <laughs> oh, it's more than a job. <laughs> yes.
3: And so um, I know a word of mouth keeps you busy, but other than that, how do people find you if they don't know someone?
1: Uh, a lot of people will post on the Nextdoor app um, or Facebook, or they'll run into somebody at Walmart in the cat food aisle, and they'll go, you got to call this lady, she'll help you. Ah. So, <laughs> um, and then anybody who will put up my number anywhere, you're welcome to spread that information Businesses, laundromats. But word of mouth truly is I'm working on a 2025 cat spot right now from somebody who's helping an older gentleman. And she was previously helping a different older woman. And before that, a different older gentleman. And each person she's gone to help is feeding 15 plus cats. And Mm -hmm. she's called me every time. (laughs) I said, well,
3: keep keep on finding them.
0: So Marilyn, forgive me, but we probably do need to move on. We're just about out of time for for the whole interview, and I have a couple more questions. How do you
1: pay
3: for this
1: fundraising? And what isn't covered there out of pocket? Uh,
3: Because I've made donations to Sue, but I'm not. And we appreciate it, Marilyn.
1: I would say keep them coming. (laughs) Yes. Okay, I'll put the word out. Definitely. you're welcome to give us a shout. You take it easy, Marilyn.
0: Thanks, Marilyn. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so Thanks much for calling. what you do, Jessica. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So um are sort of in the last minute or two here, uh, Jessica, but uh, you know, I've done numerous shows about feral cats, and early on it was just TNR and then it became TNVR. That's how long ago that I started doing these kind of shows. But typically we hear from some folks on these kind of shows who are concerned about feral cats' impact on birds and other wildlife. Um, what's your view on those kind of concerns uh, that get raised?
1: That is, It's a concern that I have myself. We all want the same thing, and that's less homeless cats.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm not willing to trap and kill animals. Um, and I've found that cats who are intact have more of that predatory nature to them whereas your cats who are fixed, you know, spayed and neutered and routinely fed and not starving are less likely to chase down a bird. I can't imagine that the cats are doing more damage than humankind. Just put that out there in a very broad spectrum. Um, I don't believe that cats who've already been through TNVR are an issue to the
0: birds. Yeah, and on a related note, just because I mentioned in the op- opening, so I guess I should come back to it at least briefly because we, we are just about out, totally out of time. So I did mention the recent New Yorker piece by uh, Jonathan Franzen, the, the novelist Jonathan Franzen. Um, and the piece ha- it's like New Yorker length, so it's thousands and thousands and thousands of words, of course, and it has a Los Angeles focus, but it raises some questions about the efficacy of TNVR, and it raises some larger questions about no kill and whether that really works. So any just sort of at this point, since we don't have time to really get into it in depth, anything you just said by way of synopsis. I did
1: read the article and it was, it was heartbreaking to say the least because somebody who doesn't know both sides of any story is going to read that and they're automatically not a believer. Um, And then I noticed they used the word, you know, it's not making a dent and I beg to differ because every little impact we make, we're starting to see those overlap. You know, I'll be trapping at at Kathy's house, and I end up accidentally trapping a cat who I fixed at Rob's house two days ago in my trap. So I'm seeing all of that overlap. Every little impact is going to come together and make that dent.
0: Okay, well, I think fair enough, we just might leave it there. People who haven't read it yet may be interested in finding it. They can find it online. don't have to have a subscription to The New Yorker to uh, to read it, but it uh, might be of interest if you're interested in this topic at all. So I think that does put us at the end of our time, Jessica. So we've been speaking with Jessica Kelly, again, of Cat Scratch Fever, and, uh, again, you can find them currently searching on Facebook, Instagram, uh, eventually when uh, gets it higher up on the to do list, there'll be a, a website cattrapfever.com. dot com. And um, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us and all your great work on, on behalf of all these cats that have uh, really benefited so much from the work that you and Sue have done over these just uh, three or four years already.
1: Thank you so much, Duncan, for having us on air.
0: For sure. Thank you. Bye. In a moment, I'll talk with Annalisa Burns, who in addition to working as a search dog handler and licensed private investigator, serves as an instructor at conferences and other settings for people who might like to train their dog to become a search dog or pursue a path towards becoming a pet detective either professionally or as a volunteer pursuit related to animal rescue. We'll have that conversation in just a moment here on Talking Animals. Right now that we're going to step into the comedy corner with Kyle Canaan delivering a uh, feline-oriented piece I'm calling Cat Sneeze. Today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF.
2: Like this is where I'm at socially. If to explain where I'm at on the social spectrum, I recently said God bless you to a cat... Like, I I was alone in a room with a cat for a while. Like, not even just a brief moment, like an incident. Like, this was a whole afternoon. Not my room, not my cat. But I was fine with this arrangement. Like, this is what I can handle. Me and somebody else's cat, both of us just staring at walls, looking for answers. and the cat sneezed and then it was quiet and that's what made it worse because if it would have just sneezed it would be like oh god bless you and then well you don't need that you're a cat we would have laughed it would have been fine but instead there was a sneeze and then it was just that moment of just me sitting like how do I play this right now do I say something I was raised right I have loving porno shopping parents (laughs) that instilled values in me. It's like, yeah, but it's a cat. F it, I'm going for it. (laughs) So I turned to it. It's like, God bless you, cat. I didn't even know its name. I was just opening up for once. Say, God bless you, cat. And the cat turned and looked at me, because that's what cats do. They look at the origin of sound. But they have very judgmental faces. So everything in that cat's expression was just like, why would you say that? That is Kyle Canaan. in today's Comedy
0: Corner, the piece I'm calling Cat's Knees, taken from his Comedy Central special. Now it's time to speak with Annalisa Burns, search dog handler, licensed private investigator, also an instructor at conferences and privately for those who'd like to pursue a similar path. Perhaps you can move a life, pet detective, etc. This is Annalisa Burns here on Talking Animals on W. Good morning, Annalisa. Good morning. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. So how did you become a search dog handler and private eye? What prompted you to pursue that particular line of work?
1: About 18 years ago, I adopted a puppy from San Diego Humane Society in California. And she was a German short hair pointer and needed a job. And I started looking at different things I could do with her because she's a working breed, a German short hair pointer for hunting. And I found Kat Albrecht of Missing Animal Response Network, and I took her training in Fresno, California, and that was 18 years ago, and I'm still going strong.
0: Wow, that's great. So how easy or difficult is it for someone to have their dog trained to become a search dog? There must be obviously certain criteria. Are there particular breeds that are better suited for this kind of work?
1: It all depends on what the pet owner, what their goals are. We encourage everyone to consider scent training for their dog. It's very enriching. It's lots of fun. And you can help your neighbor find their lost kitty cat. But for somebody to consider it as a profession or a career, they really do want to have some other criteria. And in many states, you do have to be a licensed private investigator to search for a lost pet. So many working breeds do make excellent professional search dogs. We currently have a hound dog, two bloodhounds, and a healer mix on our search team.
0: So that's interesting. If I follow you, it's kind of almost the other way around the way I or maybe others would suspect. You actually have to be a licensed private eye to use a dog at least professionally in searching for an animal. I mean, I guess it could be different if it's just like a neighbor down the street, but professionally, it sounds like you couldn't really do that with a dog no matter what their training was, unless you're already a uh, a private investigator who's licensed right. to do that work.
1: And that's by state. Different states have different regulations, I see. but in the yeah. state of Florida, you do need to be a licensed private investigator.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. What kind of searches come up most often like searching obviously for a missing person, I'm guessing? and uh, maybe a missing animal as well. But what, what, what are the kinds of things that come up most often in this kind of work?
1: We search exclusively for lost pets. Okay. And our search dogs are trained to be scent-specific. So they can search really for almost any different species of animal. I search for snakes, for tortoises, turtles. But most of our cases are for lost dogs and cats.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of just another level of sort of animal rescue in a sense That uh, they're just saying, well, hey, uh, this turtle or this dog or whatever is missing, and our job at the moment is to try to locate by scent that animal and bring it back home.
1: Exactly, that's one hundred percent what we focus on.
0: Yeah. So, where would someone? I know this weekend's conference registration is closed because there's some preparations that are required before the the uh, conference itself. So, uh, I know there's probably another one coming, and there's some others in other parts of the country. So. Where would people contact you online to either get individual, I guess, one-on-one instruction if they wanted to go that route or to try to find out more about some other conferences that are coming up and that might they might be a convenient part of the country for them or when it comes back towards Tampa?
1: Absolutely, yes. I do offer one-on-one training in person in the Tampa Bay area, and I encourage people who have dogs who would enjoy doing it for enrichment to consider it because it's a lot of fun. It's a great game that the dogs can learn and you can help your neighbor find their lost kitty cat that wandered off. So that's a big bonus. And to reach out to me for that, they can go online to my website, which is petsearchandrescue.com. Again, that's petsearchandrescue.com. And we do have two conferences coming up in 2024. We have one in April in Los Angeles, California, and one in upstate New York in July of 2024. And we will be coming back to Tampa Bay again and having more conferences here. So that information is listed on my website also.
0: That's great. And so for petsearchandrescue.com, is the AND A-N-D or is it an ampersand?
1: It's an A-N-D spelled out. Thanks for asking.
0: Yeah, very good. Okay, cool. Well, this all this seems really interesting. And, and again, I, I had Cat on the show many years ago and I've had some other pet detectives and it's a fascinating world and it's, you know, fun for the dog and, and enriching for them and uh, and obviously a nice way to make a, make a living if you, if you can get enough work to do so. So thank you so much for joining us today, Annalisa. And good thank luck. you
1: so much for having me.
0: For sure. Take care. Thank you. Coming up on WNF, it's Slice of Life, the wonderful new show hosted by Randy Zimmerman and others. After that, we shift back to music program with Jim Bannon holding forth from 1 to 3, followed by Nancy C, 3 to 6, and then our Latin music kicks in. So we'll be back again next Wednesday with the show I mentioned earlier in the week with the guy conducting a huge uh, part of the team conducting this huge study on long-term aging and longevity for dogs and um, how you might get involved with that and, uh, and how you might support their efforts since they're running out. So we'll be back next Wednesday at 11 a.m. for that. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Brandon Clearwater Largo Wiki watching me on NPR News Headlines and then Slice of Life after that.